every job interview I've ever had, people want, people don't ask me about my grades. They ask me what was being a minor league baseball player like. And that's the same type of stuff I ask people when I interview them now. So we want to make sure that kids are able to play sports longer. The, you know, the big problem that we're trying to address is most kids quit sports by the time they're 13. And we think that's just because they're not getting decent training. So we want to make sure that kids get enough coaching so that sports can be fun longer and they're able to, we call it the power of play, they're able to get that power of, of being part of a sports environment a little, a little longer. Like This is Rocky Collis, former minor league baseball player. Hi, this is Luke Collis. I'm a former pro arena football player. Co-founder and CEO of Mustard. I'm co-founder and COO of Mustard. And this is The Game Plan. Welcome back to The Game Plan, presented by Sportechie. I'm Jay Kapoor, here with my trusted co-host, Tim Cott. Tim, how are you doing today? Doing well, Jay. How are you? I am good, Tim. This is a first one for us, because this is our first episode with two guests on The Game Plan. Yeah, not just two guest episode, but two brothers. That's right, Tim. I know that you have three older brothers. Would you go and start a startup with one of your brothers? <laughs> well, I think it depends which brother you're talking about. I won't say which one I would or wouldn't, but it also depends on the idea. But credit to Luke and Rocky Collis, who are our guests today, in that you know they didn't just jump into working with one another. They both were on their own paths. Luke had a career as a quarterback actually in the Arena Football League. And if you go way back, he backed up Colin Kaepernick at Nevada, which was a kind of a fun thing that we talked about uh, what that experience was like. And then for Rocky, he was drafted by the Seattle Mariners and kind of bounced around the minor league system. But that's an important point to the story because that's how he ended up meeting Dr. Tom House and mental performance coach Jason Goldsmith, who are the other co-founders in their company, Mustard. And beyond those names, right, Dr. Tom House, I mean, this is a guy who has worked on the mechanics of Drew Brees, of Nolan Ryan, Randy Johnson, and a few of those guys are even investors in the company. Jay, what's your take when you see a celebrity or athlete investor behind a company? Yeah, Tim, well, you know my pet peeve is whenever you see a funding announcement for a startup and it just has this laundry list of you know 19 or 20 unrelated celebrities and athletes that are on there. And I tend to think that that power of the PR ploy is is starting to actually lose its power quite a bit. What I really liked about talking to the guys at Mustard is the ability to integrate those celebrity investors or those athlete investors into your business. So in this case, with somebody like a Drew Brees or Nolan Ryan, because they are disciples of the Tom House pitching and throwing method, it actually lends a lot of credence to the teachings that these guys are bringing into Mustard. And then I think with somebody like Mia Hamm, who's involved you know, in the board, and obviously we talked about how Rocky had gotten to know her during his time as a lawyer for the U.S. Women's National Team and how he was there through the foundation of Re-Inc., which, you know, a season one episode we had Megan Klingenberg come on to talk about, involving somebody like Mia as part of the board and as part of the advisory board to say, hey, we're going out, you know, into this audience. What's the right way to do it? I think that's the best use case of how you get a athlete investor to really bring value into your startup. And Tim, in this case, this is a product specifically built for the youth sports market. I'm curious how you think the strategy works when you're going out to a youth audience and their parents. Yeah, well, let's talk about the product a little bit. It's democratizing 
this expert level, Dr. Tom House level coaching and evaluation for youth pitchers out there, really any pitcher that there is. You know, he's even said in a Sport Techie article back in September, he believes there's 10,000 Nolan Ryans out there that might never play baseball or might never have access to the coaching to develop in the way that Nolan Ryan did, which is a pretty powerful statement. And so I love it in the sense that you've got Drew Brees and Nolan Ryan saying, yep, this is the guy who helped me achieve the success that I've achieved. And, you know, I think youth athletes will value that too. Well, with that, Tim, I think it's time for us to get into this episode with the brothers Rocky and Luke Collis, co-founders of Mustard. All right, awesome. Let's kick it off, guys. So we're excited to have Luke and Rocky Collis. Guys, you know, we want to chat about the company that you're building, Mustard, but let's start a little bit with, you know, the superhero origin story. Both of you guys had, uh, you know, your respective careers and your professional sports. Give us a sense of that journey and then how it brought you to founding this company together. Yeah, well, I guess I'll um, I'll go first since I'm older and I have the less impressive athletic career. So I was a baseball player and um, I, I learned how to pitch. I was a pitcher. I learned how to pitch from the guy who's now our co-founder in this company, Tom House, uh, without ever meeting him. I, I was reading his books and watching his VHS tapes. That's how old I am and, and that kind of thing. Pitched at Cornell and then pitched in the minor leagues a little bit, a very brief career before I, I ended up going to law school and eventually uh, made my way into becoming an entrepreneur. And part of that is thanks to my brother, Luke. I'll let him uh, tell his athletic career, which leads to us meeting Tom House and, and getting to start Mustard. Cool. Yeah. So I played football at University of Nevada and I was a quarterback and I was kind of stuck behind Kaepernick, my career there. So I was like, okay, well, I'm never going to play here. So I ended up transferring to a small D3 school in LA, Occidental College. And Really enjoyed my time there. Started playing arena football afterwards and played arena football for seven years. And there's some big benefits to playing arena football and there's also some drawbacks. And I would say that's the money. Like <laughs> you don't make the money that you do in the NFL. So, you know, part of the benefit of that is you have, have to have other jobs. And so I, I really got to work substantively on campaigns, on political campaigns in the off season of every football season. And it was actually like such a blessing to be able to do that and get this substantive experience and really see how my athletic career tied into that and how like what I was learning on the football field was actually transferable to something outside of it. And I would say that's probably instrumental in me being like, okay, maybe like this business thing could, could be something I can get involved in. Like, you know, I wasn't as you know, nervous or tiptoeing around the edges to be like, no, let's, let's dive head in. Yeah. And Rocky, before we got on the mic, we were chatting about how this is not your first entrepreneurial venture. Uh, I don't know if it, it's the same for you, Luke, but you were involved with uh, the foundation of Re-Inc, which we had Megan Klingenberg on our show last season. Uh, so give us a sense of what got you excited about Re-Inc and maybe some of the lessons that you're now taking into building this business. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Re-Inc Re is, is something I'm uh, super proud of and, and have, have been honored to be involved in and, and um, excited with how well it's doing. So out of law school, I went to a, a firm where that was really focused on kind of high impact uh, litigation. So I thought I wanted to litigate because I, I was looking for something to kind of fill that competitive void in my life after athletics. But I knew that I wanted it to be for, for causes that I cared about. And, and that was something the firm was, was really focused on, especially at, the, at that time. 
with a close mentor of mine, we took on this pro bono case for 50 of the world's best women soccer players in 2015. It was a gender discrimination case about the treatment they were receiving for the 2015 World Cup in Canada. And um, as kind of the junior attorney on that case, it was my job to really collect the facts. It was my job to sign up clients. And so I really got to know a lot of the a lot of these incredible athletes through that process, including Megan Klingenberg. And that led a few a few years later to the U.S. Women's Soccer Team Players Association hired me as their general counsel, got to know some of the players better. And we were always, uh, I mean, Re-Inc. was just, it was such a, a passion project for, for all of us involved. Of course, we thought it could be something big, and, and, and I, I think it will be. But it was really about we were in this fight with the U.S. Soccer Federation over trying to get equal pay, and, and, and the fight's still ongoing. But the realization that, you, you know, we need to win that fight for lots of reasons. But if people are going to put up a walls to these top athletes getting the pay they deserve in that employment, there are other ways for them to get uh, the revenue and to get the brand value that, that they deserve in the world. And one of it is to just launch a brand that's built around some of the players. So with four of the players, um, a couple of us started Re-Inc. Players are Megan Klingenberg, Megan Rapino, Kristen Press, and Tobin Heath. Kristen's the rock star CEO of that company. It's backed by Clyder Perkins. So for, for me, you know, since, since normally we don't talk about me when we talk about Reink, which is a good thing, <laughs> but since you asked about me, I'll tell you, I mean, for me, it was, it was a, an incredible thing for lots of reasons. Obviously, the mission of the company and getting to be involved in any way was terrific. Also, I, I was an attorney and I was doing a lot of startup work. I was representing startup companies. I was representing investors and I was, I was seeing the world from that angle, but I, that was the first time that I, I got the experience of actually day to day. What are all the things you need to do to launch a brand, to build a brand, and, and then to launch a company and, and to help run it? And I, you know, again, we've got rock star people that are running that company day to day, and Kristen is the CEO. But I was part of that team where I got to learn a ton from all these people. And, and that was at the same time that Luke had introduced me to Tom. And Tom House and Jason Goldsmith, his mental performance coach, came to us with this idea for Mustard. And so for a while, I was just as a friend kind of advising and seeing where we could take it. But eventually, as we got to the point to raise money for Mustard, it was clear that somebody needed to step in and be CEO of this company. And I felt like I had the experience because of what I had done with Re-Inc. Uh, and then also just, you know, because of the athletic experience that you talked about for me and Luke. We're actually, you know, we lived the life of our target market for mustard. So it puts us in a really unique position to, to launch this company. You know, it's interesting. I've, I've had quite a few either lawyers or lawyers who end up working at sports leagues. And these are some of our listeners as well who've reached out to me and, and said, hey, I, I have an itch to do something more entrepreneurial or, you know, to go out there and ship, which is kind of the opposite of the DNA of most lawyers, right? Because it's, it's about risk assessment, risk mitigation. So you kind of detailed the path that's led you to now starting Mustard, but how are you able to cope with the risk piece on it with that, that DNA of you that was a lawyer? It's a great question. You're exactly right about lawyers. I think though that a lot of us, a lot of us lawyers don't know that sort of risk calculation before going to law school, right? People go to law school for lots of reasons. For me, it was I wanted to I wanted to do good. You know, I wanted to help people, and I think that's the reason a lot of people go. 
And it's not necessarily because you want to work at a law firm and you want to know how much money you're making every year and, and, and you're averse to, to risk. So for me, once I got into law firm world, yes, I was able to have some of these cases where I felt like I was doing good. But for me, uh, I, I didn't love a lot of the work. A lot of people have great legal careers. It just for me, it wasn't exciting to me every day. It wasn't what I wanted to do. And so I was always looking to kind of transition to more entrepreneurial stuff. Now, in terms of the, the risk piece, I will say that, you know, I, I played baseball, I went to law school, and then I'm a lawyer. And so I had never really experienced that feeling of waking up in the morning and not knowing whether you're going to get paid <laughs> and, and like, you know, are you going to be able to pay the bills? And so the first day I've, I've experienced this a couple times, I guess, but the first day where I kind of left a steady paying job and now it's entrepreneurial and you got to make it happen or, or things are, you're in trouble financially, definitely felt like I had a, a quick panic attack. I mean, it, you know, that, I don't want to understate that for, for all the lawyers that are out there listening. It's not, and it's not just a smooth, easy switch. It was definitely something I had to swallow hard and get over. But for me, after kind of the couple days of tension and, and you know, something short of panic, it's also freeing. And, you know, I, I, I could never go back at this point. I mean, and especially, you know, hopefully we'll get to talk more about, but for me, getting to work with my brother is this incredible experience. And we're working on a project that we could not have invented a project that's more better suited for our passions and interests. And that is a, a tough thing to create in any in any profession other than being an entrepreneur. It's tough to find something that's so perfectly matched to like your essence and the way you grew up. I certainly never could have created something like that as a lawyer. Yeah, let's dig in a bit more on working with your brother. So, and Luke, you can you know answer this maybe because we've heard Rocky's side of the story and how he came to meet Tom House. But from your perspective, what was the moment where you both decided, hey, I want to work on this together? Yeah. I mean, the funny thing is, and I've, I've looked back at it in, in hindsight, I don't think that there was ever a moment for me where we were like, is this like a good thing or a bad thing? Like, should we like working with a family member? It was like, no, I think we've always kind of like looked for opportunities to do stuff together. So there was no decision to be made. I think I, I obviously had the relationship with Tom and, you know, when, when Tom had asked me like for, for an intro to Rocky was like, yeah, this is great. <laughs> you know, this is, this is terrific. And so then obviously like Rocky was then like, Hey, I actually think these guys have something there. I was like, wow. Yeah, I hope so. And and this wasn't a place like of, I'm going to be involved in some way. It was just like, that's awesome for you guys. <laughs> and then it was kind of like, there might be something for there, there for you too. And I'm like, even more awesome. <laughs> this is great. So I think that was kind of the start of it from, from my perspective. And then, you know, as for now, I think everything's been going really smoothly and, you know, it's, it's been great. I, I feel like I've got a super uh, open and upfront relationship with, with Rocky. So, you know, if, if someone's messing up, we can say it. If, if someone's doing great, well, maybe we don't say that as much, but <laughs> uh, I think it's it's been a, a great opportunity, a great relationship. So. Yeah, and for our listeners who don't know who Tom House is, tell us a little bit about Tom and then how that's ultimately led to the idea that's become the company Mustard. Yeah, Tom, I, even for people that think they know who he is, I always try to give, give a little bit more color because nobody knows all the important things about Tom, especially from a business perspective. 
objectively, he, he really is the most accomplished personal sports coach of all time. And, and, I, and I say that knowing I can defend it from a, a legal perspective. So Tom, Tom's the only person that I can find that has coached people in the actual mechanics of their sports. So in other words, he's, he's, not a, he's not a trainer. He's not doing just exercises with people. He's teaching them their actual mechanics of their sport across multiple sports, and he's got Hall of Famers in every sport that he coaches, okay? So he was a major league pitcher himself, dating back to he was then he became Nolan Ryan's pitching coach. He was coach of the Texas Rangers when, when Nolan was there. And that's when I'm learning from him reading. I mean, he's famous back then. I'm reading his books back then. Since then, he, you know, I couldn't tell you how many major league pitchers he's coached, but he's probably got a dozen Hall of Famers that he's that he's personally coached in pitching mechanics. He's credited with inventing modern pitching mechanics. Everybody who learns to pitch today is learning something that came from Tom House's brain. Now, people don't realize he works with a ton of major league hitters. Okay, so a lot of he's uh, Tom's represented by Scott Boris. He works with a lot of Scott Boris clients. The rotational element of hitting and the rotational element of pitching are, are very similar, so allows Tom to work across that. 22 of the current starting NFL quarterbacks actually see Tom and Tom's coaches for throwing coaching. Okay, so that includes Tom, you know, surefire Hall of Famers, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Drew's who, who's one of our investors and advisors. Tom's on the board of Titleist Performance Institute, so he's seeing Hall of Fame golfers. Phil Mickelson trains there a lot. He's seeing Hall of Fame tennis players. So across at least those four sports, Tom's actually training people in their mechanics and at a Hall of Fame level. Now, now how that kind of leads to what we're doing at Mustard is the way Tom is able to get across all those sports and not just be a pitching guy is that even 45 years ago, he's, he's taking a very scientific approach, okay? So he's not just using his eyes and looking at Nolan and telling Nolan he should do X, Y, or Z differently. That wouldn't have worked with, with Nolan Ryan, right? He was already pretty good. So what he's doing with Nolan back then is putting 3D motion sensors on him, putting Nolan's mechanics into the computer, and then figuring out scientifically what's making Nolan throw so hard. If there are any inefficiencies, what are they and how do we correct them? Now he's got model mechanics in the computer and he's basically able to follow that same process for these other sports, figure out what the model mechanics are, and then figure out what are the teachables in order to get people closer to that model. By the way, this is, you know, we've had Drew Brees actually explain this process a few times and it's like way better when he says it, but I'm, I'm doing my best. So, so Drew would tell you that, you know, when he goes to see Tom, the first thing that happens is Tom takes him through this physical screen process. And, you know, they're, they're, they're checking for muscle imbalances, inflexibilities, things that have changed over time as it worked together a long time. Then they'll do the mechanics piece, 3D motion sensors. Mechanics and the results of the physical screen go into the computer for analysis. Out from the computer, without Tom's help, comes Drew's training program. Now, it's not his full training program, but it's everything he's doing mechanically, everything he's doing functional strength. It comes out of the computer based on Tom's algorithms that he's developed over these 45 years. So that was what really gave rise to Tom and Jason's initial idea for this was this whole thing is automated. You know, for the elite guys that are paying 15 grand a weekend, it doesn't seem, I mean, they want to see Tom there, but it doesn't seem like Tom needs to be there as much as he is. Uh, so can't we, okay, the, the motion sensors are expensive, but iPhones are getting pretty good. So can't we figure out a way to just do that whole thing through the iPhone? So that's what we hired people to, to do initially. And, and we can tell you more about the tech if, if you think that's interesting. But essentially, we have this artificial intelligence system that 
supplants the 3D motion sensors. And we can give people at scale a Tom House experience without them ever having to meet Tom and certainly without paying 15 grand. Yeah, no, I think it's fascinating the idea of productizing one man's knowledge into into a product. And especially, I think, as you said, as markerless motion capture has gotten better. And especially for individual, right? Like I've seen it's it's harder when you're doing markerless motion capture and you have two people and they run into each other and where does somebody's hand end and the other one. But if you've just got one person in the frame that's pitching, help me understand, you know, as a, let's say a prospective customer, I'm an up and coming pitcher in high school, or I'm the parent of an up and coming pitcher in high school, what am I seeing in the app? And and what's the feedback that I'm getting in you know real time from the AI that's helping me correct my motion? Yeah. So um, I actually love the way you framed it about like two people in a, and we'll get to that. But uh, okay. you know, when someone gets the app in their hands, um, we really want it to be a super simple experience. So you take a video or upload a video of a pitch for right now. It's just, you either take the front view of the pitch or the side view of the pitch. Eventually it'll be 360, like basically from wherever. And even now, a lot of people like to, you know, put the phone down on the ground on a water bottle or something and just record. So you take the pitch and then you upload it. And, you know, 30 seconds later, you get back an analysis of that pitch. So it'll give you the keyframes that Tom really cares about where he would do an analysis, which is max leg lift, foot strike, and ball release. And then it gives you some key variables that Tom does his analysis off of. So for Tom, there's 11 key variables. You know, you'll get your timing metrics. So, so that's timing from max leg lift to foot strike. You'll get your balance. So that really is what's your head doing at release? Is it way over here? Is it, you know, pretty straight on? You'll get the length of your stride. It, it, it's stuff like this. And it's, it's a lot of stuff that, you know, it, is not that there's not much conflict in the space about it. People usually agree on this type of stuff. So you get that full analysis. And then based off of that, let's say that you failed the, the timing metric. If you failed the timing metric, you'll get drills specific to timing to do to fix that. And then, you know, sometime later you go and retest and it's really as simple as that. Yeah. The, the personalization idea I think is, is so fascinating because we're seeing it in so many different aspects of the sports world. I, I think, you know, fitness is, is one example where you're seeing personal trainers basically use a couple of inputs and personalize a fitness program for you. We're seeing it now with like Peloton and all this sort of at-home fitness where it's getting harder and scaling with you as you get better. I am curious at the market that you guys have chosen. You know, it's youth sports. We know there's a few million youth sports players in, in baseball. My, my challenge becomes in that category is that like it's already so expensive. So how does a parent justify this level of personalized training when, you know, travel leagues and equipment and all this stuff is already really putting a burden on, on an average American family. And to that, yeah, I, I would say exactly. <laughs> but I'll let, I'll let Rocky take the, the rest of the answer. Well, I mean, I think we should give some sense of what our, what our pricing is, first of all. So, so, and look, I mean, this is a company that we come to this with a real mission and, and a real um, soul to the company. We, we're trying to democratize this elite training. We really see 
the technology we've developed is something that can grow the games we care about. So, you know, right now in baseball, but we'll be in other sports that, that we care deeply about. It's also that, you know, Luke and I, and this is a lot about a lot of what your show is about, but Luke and I have lived this life of like the benefit that you get from being an athlete. I mean, I talked about the law firm, you know, I got, I was lucky to work at great law firms and I wouldn't have gotten those jobs if I hadn't been a baseball player. I mean, that was, you know, every, every job interview I've ever had, people want, people don't ask me about my grades. They ask me what was being a minor league baseball player like. And that's the same type of stuff I ask people when I interview them now. So we want to make sure that kids are able to play sports longer. The, you know, the big problem that we're trying to address is most kids quit sports by the time they're 13. And we think that's just because they're not getting decent training. They're getting to the age of 13, and all of a sudden you're competing against kids that have had real coaching. And if you haven't had decent coaching, you're in trouble at that point, and then it's just not fun. So we want to make sure that kids get enough coaching so that sports can be fun longer, and they're able to, we call it the power of play, they're able to get that power of, of being part of a sports environment a little a little longer in life. So that's all to say there's always going to be a free component of this app that people are able to get a lot of value from. So so that's number one. And then you know number two, even for the premium content that we plan, it's going to be pretty accessible. $8.99 a month is the plan and that's what we do all our financial projections off of. What we find and and I again I live this, yes, people are spending a ton of money on youth sports, but they're they're throwing money at the question of what does my kid have to do to get better? Okay. So it's really not a, it's not so much a a total price point thing. It's who's going to finally give people that answer. And we think that we have something that finally, that finally does that. And so, you know, I think it works in conjunction with private lessons kids are getting, but it's going to make those private lessons more effective. So if you're paying a hundred dollars an hour for a private coach, wouldn't you rather pay a hundred and Hundred and nine dollars, you know, for that lesson a month, basically, and you actually know scientifically, and you can see with your eyes that the coach is giving your kid recommendations that are actually going to make a difference, and then you can track that progress with the same technology and science. We think in the end that's a no-brainer. I, and then the only other thing I would say is there's 25 million in the U.S., 25 million baseball and softball players. So you know, we there is a we think there's a venture backable market. And I think our investors agree just in, in baseball and softball, but we plan on being in lots of sports, hopefully not too, not too far away. Yeah. We have a lot of entrepreneurs that are listeners of the game plan. And I think they'd be interested from a product standpoint, how you guys are prioritizing going really deep on let's say baseball and let's create the absolute best pitching feedback product versus let's expand to other sports so this can be as accessible to as many athletes as possible. How are you guys weighing those two? Because certainly you don't have unlimited resources and you do have to think about the value of the products driving. Basically the way we think about that is the round that we've raised so far is directed at baseball. And by the time that, you know, so early next year, we'll, we'll have let people in off the wait list. We'll drop the first pitching product generally to the public. We'll start to hopefully show some data and traction with that, with that product. That product's what's going to lead us into the next round. It may be that before we raise the next round, we've started to do something in other sports, you know, to started to develop something so that we're able to kind of tell that story. But, you know, obviously for the entrepreneurs that are listening, everybody knows it's, it's about the data that we capture before the next round. And it's about what the next round looks like. And so that's largely going to be driven by what we do in baseball and then being able to tell the story and what we're doing in, in other sports. So we have to, we have to know that, but we're, if to your question, if we're weighing what we're more focused on, we're way more focused on 
baseball and making sure we nail the first product. Yeah. And another question we get is, and this also relates to product and early stage entrepreneurs that we talk to in this space is, especially if neither of you are non-technical co-founders, is that right? Is that fair to say? Yes. You know, how did you, how are you able to get the traction with investors? I think I already know the answer, but how are you able to get the traction with investors to go be able to then build the team that can build the product to fulfill the problem you're trying to solve? Yeah. A little bit of what we call synchro destiny, I guess. I mean, we, we built a proof of concept before we, before we went to most investors, we, we probably had a couple investors beforehand, but I mean, one of our initial investors, for example, Shasta Ventures, they have this expertise in computer vision and Jacob Mullins is a partner there we worked with. I mean, Jacob was my, I, I know Jacob from previous work. He was my first call when I, when I heard this idea from, from Tom and Jason. Uh, so he was kind of in the loop early days. We took it to a friend of mine, a college teammate of mine who works at Major League Baseball and then we, we ended up meeting these engineers who had the perfect experience and they were kind of free agents because they worked at ML BAM, which had been sold to Disney. So um, we kind of, you know, brought those guys in before there was really a company even, and, and they built out this proof of concept. I should say that one of the advantages we have from Tom, it's, it's not just the brand building and, and the teaching. It's also that he's got this 45 year database. Okay. It's a massive database of the way athletes move. And that's what you, to, to build a true AI system like ours, that's what you need. And so for the people that understand that technology, like a lot of our early investors, we were coming, you know, you, we had a proof of concept and we were coming with a massive advantage, both on the brand side and on the tech side. So, you know, for Luke and I, I mean, we had to, we had to raise the money before we could both do this full time, but we were able to kind of put together the tech team in order to, in order to do that. It's funny. Somebody asked me once, well, what's harder being an athlete or being an entrepreneur? And I said, being an athlete is way harder because if you're an entrepreneur, you can just hire people that fill your gaps. Like I couldn't just hire somebody to throw harder for me, you know, or like to throw my change-ups for me. I always had a bad change-up. But yeah, neither Luke or I, we don't have tech backgrounds, but we could go out and tell the story and hire people to fill fill those gaps. Or at least at, at that stage, I would say partner with people. But we were able to find kind of the best people to do that. Yeah, one of my one of my favorite concepts around as we as investors evaluate startups is this idea of earned secrets. And when you were talking about Tom's sort of 40, 45 year database, it's one of those things where you're thinking, you know, what makes this entrepreneur unique? And when you look at your team and you say, okay, there's probably people out there that also have these databases, but like 45 years is a long time, right? So that's, I think, a, a really interesting selling point. And, and Tim, that was a you know, definitely a question that I always have with, with folks that aren't necessarily technical, don't come from the AI background itself. It's like, what's the earned secret? My, I guess, question from, from taking that expansion idea then is saying, okay, you've got the earned secrets in, in this category. We've seen other, not to say competitive products, but other coaching products that are out there that purport to do film analysis, that purport to do, you know, our friends at Shot Tracker doing wearables that can track your, your arc and your angles. How do you guys look at your earned secrets and your positioning within that broader marketplace and say, you know, here's what we know we do really well as compared to some of the other guys? Yeah, maybe I'll go first, Luke, and then you can you can add on. 
I mean, we, one thing is we haven't talked about the mental side at all, but, but our other co-founder and a guy who works closely with Tom is Jason Goldsmith. He's a mental performance coach, works with a lot of Tom, Tom's athletes, but works with the golfers a lot. Took two golfers to be ranked number one in the world, so he's got his own kind of – he's renowned in his own right. I always say that you know Tom and Jason, when they work together, they, they, it seems like they do a lot of different things because they coach in so many different sports. But basically they do one thing, which is they, they get people better at whatever it, whatever it is the person cares about. And I think that that's kind of the brand ethos that we take across different sports. I think that the technology is really, for all the types of companies and apps that you mentioned, Current technology is totally changing the game. It's just a moment right now where all that stuff is going to change because you don't need sensors anymore for a lot of this work. And I think that there's a huge um, portion of, of all of our target market that isn't going to go and figure out how to use a sensor. You know, and it's if you think about the pyramid of sports, it's probably the bigger slice of the market that doesn't want to do that. Right. Like it's more elite athletes at the top of the pyramid that are willing to go out and set up a sensor and pay for it and figure out how to use it. People at the bottom of the pyramid that are deciding whether they're going to continue playing at 13, it's got to be really easy for them, right? I mean, they got to be able to whip out their phone and the video has got to be just like second nature. It can't be something they're spending a ton of time figuring it out or a lot of them aren't going to do it. So that's what I think we've been able to create. I don't think that it's like anything else that's, that's out there now. And I say that as somebody, you know, you know, can still go and, pretend to throw baseball and and uh, understand what some of this this technology does. So I just think the brand value that we have across sports plus the changes in the tech and the advantages that, that we have in those changes in the tech, it's a, it's a different market than has really existed before for similar companies. One one thing I might add is, uh, you know, every company starts with a problem statement and I just, I, I feel like we came at the problem from a totally different way. So, you know, anybody in the space usually comes at the problem, well, who can we make money off of? And the the way that you do that currently is through coaches. And, and I think that, you know, for us, especially with a, a mission focused on democratizing this elite coaching, it, it's really, okay, how do we access the most players and how do we get this into their hands? And so that led us to developing the technology in a certain way so that, you know, it didn't need to be in a lab atmosphere where you're taking videos. You don't need sensors to take videos or to, you know, get feedback. And so in that way, it's actually pretty unique what we've built. So I think that might be a broader lesson of just, well, maybe you're trying to achieve the same or fix the same problem as somebody else, but, you know, approaching it in a different way or just thinking about it in a different way could be helpful. Yeah, it's an interesting paradox in a way because on the one hand, what I hear you saying is the problems to be solved or the things that need to be changed aren't really that much. Like like small tweaks can make a huge difference, especially at the base of the pyramid that you guys are trying to target. But the challenge has been the elite coaching has not always been available to anyone, whether it be for cost or location or whatnot. However, it is complicated technology. It is a proprietary data set that you guys have. It, it, there is only one Tom House. So that's obviously the secret sauce. And so to be able to translate all of that into something that can be applied at that level is what's going to 
lead you guys to success. I, I want to touch on something in a similar vein, which I think gets overlooked a lot. You know, having worked with the Dodgers leading the global sports venture studio, they had a huge focus on youth sports. We would see tons and tons of companies focused on that, but it was interesting to me that so often uh, brand and end user was kind of an afterthought, meaning like so many of these companies had a problem they were attacking, but they actually forgot about the kids or, 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 you know, the athletes, they weren't thinking about the athletes and what resonates with them. So it's one thing if the product solved a problem, which clearly mustard is doing, but I think it, what I really like about what you guys have built and what I want to ask about is the brand that you've built too. Cause it's clear that you're trying to create something that, that resonates with the athlete. It's something I'm really proud of. One of my portfolio companies is overtime. I'm really proud of those guys. Cause that's, that is what it is, right? It's all about the brand and community. So Talk a little bit about how the mustard brand came to be, what it means. I'm sure you get asked that all the time, but for our listeners who don't know, explain that. Uh, let's go into that a little bit. Sure. We always figure that for tech companies, the tech eventually gets commoditized. And so we always put a huge emphasis on building the brand for our company. In our industry, we figure as the tech gets commoditized, the winner is going to be the brand that people trust to actually improve. And so really, that's what we thought was one of the key advantages of doing this with Tom House and being able to build a brand around him. Again, in our view, kind of indisputably the person who's the most successful individual sports coach of all time. But maybe more importantly, his experience in doing that for 45 years, really, he's taken this very complicated data and boiled it down to simple mechanical variables that anybody can understand. Literally, that's the books I was reading when I was a kid, was Tom breaking down this very complex data and putting it into things that even a 10-year-old kid can use to get better. So basically, that's what we're using in the app right now. If we were to provide somebody access to the back-end data, it's 10,000 lines of numbers. Not a lot of use you get out of that. But when you, when you plug it through Tom's system, all of a sudden you get these 10, 10 simple mechanical variables that you can actually use to improve. So that's number one. I mean, there's this brand about, so then the brand has to be about performance. It has to be about improvement and not just access to data. For us also, look, we're trying to help kids. And so we wanted to build a brand that and have a, a company name that was attractive to a younger audience. Uh, so we worked in the very early days with a branding agency. And, and, you know, that's kind of my experience in starting companies is about building the brand and the importance of that in the early days. We tested different company names with a lot of kids. And so mustard caught some early traction because there's this thing of kind of, you know, uh, cut the mustard, put some extra mustard on it. And we were surprised, but kids actually knew those phrases and that was resonating with people. Mustard's a very accessible thing. It's at every ballpark. So we like that. We're big, you know, obviously we're trying to revolutionize the power of play, provide access to this elite coaching to all sorts of kids. So accessibility and fun were really important to us. I'll tell you, it kind of came down to two names. Uh, it was down to Mustard and Swivel. And I don't know if I can tell the story on your podcast, so you can cut it if you want, but I'm going to quote somebody. So we're, we had a big company meeting. There was probably, you know, we got all the advisors on the call. We probably had 16 people on the call. And uh, Jason, our mental coach, joined late because he was traveling with his client, Justin Rose. Uh, it was a, you know, top 10 golfer. And uh, Jason calls in. So apologizes for being late. And he says, Hey, I'm actually in the car with Rosie. Rosie's next to me. I said, well, that's perfect. I said, you know, just put, put Justin on speaker for a minute. 
I said, hey, Justin, we're down to two names. It's mustard and this other name is swivel, which for a variety of reasons was a meaningful word for a lot of people in the company. And I said, what do you, what do you think about those two names? And Justin Rose, who's from England, said, well, in England, if you tell somebody to go swivel, it means go fuck yourself. <laughs> so at that, point, at that moment, we pretty much decided it wasn't going to be swivel. And then he said, on the other hand, mustard in England right now with the kids, that like mustard is like what's cool. That's, that's what you say for something that's hot. So I could really see myself telling people to download the mustard app. So Justin Rose basically uh, settled it for us. So, so let it be known, listeners, that the power of user research is never dead, even if it's just testing out your name. I look, it's, I think it's, a, it's an important point to make, which is you guys together, experts though you are, aren't the end user that's going to be using it every day, right? So, so the value of actually going, especially at this early stage when you guys are coming out of beta soon and making the app accessible, it's great to go and get that testing. I guess my follow-on from that, and maybe Luke, you can give us some context on this, you know, what does success look like? You guys come out of beta, you've got X numbers of users using it. What should a user expect to see, you know, seven, 30, 90, however many days into using this in succession? What does success look like? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's something that uh, Tom would definitely define very early on in the, uh, in the formation of the company. But, you know, a lot of programs really are focused on getting people to throw harder, right? And like throw as hard as you can and that's all that matters. And the thing is, is that's really not where Tom's teachings come from. Uh, Tom's teachings, of course, have that as a part of it, but we also know how important it is to stay healthy. And we also know that throwing hard is not just a function of mechanics. It's also a function of functional strength. And so I think that, and then also, if you want to perform well in games, you need to be pretty good mentally. Um, so I think part of what Rocky was talking about earlier uh, was that, you know, all these things kind of come together. They sound disparate. They sound like they're different. They're really not. Uh, it, it's all it's all part of cultivating a better athlete. And so um, I think, you know, really for us, success looks like getting this in the hands of athletes so that they can become their best self. Um, and, uh, and that's what we're focused on. Um, you know, if, if you're looking for a, a number of users to get to or, or something like that, we could, we could go over those. But really, at, at, the, at the end of the day, the most important part is that we're getting these teachings in the hands of athletes so that they can be their best self. I love that. And, and, and one of my favorite things from actually the Sport Techie article that covered you guys launch was a quote from Tom about how there could be 10,000 Nolan Ryans out there. And so it's not even just about creating a better athlete, but really a better baseball player. And it's like, well, what's the difference? You look at a guy like Trevor Bauer, who just won the Cy Young, and he self-proclaims as not being the best athlete on the field. But it's because, you know, and he's got a whole bunch of unconventional things we don't have to get into, but... So it's, it's pretty special that you guys are unlocking that opportunity. Speaking of uh, some of the best athletes on the field that you guys have, I was looking at the roster of investors. I mean, beyond the, the Shasta Ventures and the sort of traditional VCs, you guys have an all-star roster of folks from every different sport. I mean, give us a little bit of context of, of what it's like to, 
to get folks like that on board as an investor? And where do you hope that your your pro athlete investors are going to be able to, uh, you know, create some mustard for you? If, if, I'm, if I'm using that correctly. Yeah, really important for us because again, we're trying to be this brand that's about actually being able to improve learning from people, and so having these people that have reached the pinnacle of their sport and are involved in delivering some of our teachings, but are also signing off on Tom's teachings is really important. So Nolan and Drew, people that have actually trained with Tom, I think it's critical. It's critical for us that, that they're involved. And they actually, you know, both of them actually weigh in on product issues, which, which, is, uh, which is huge for us. I kind of get trained by my business advisor, Steve Nelson. So Steve was a co-founder and launch CEO of, of Carbon 3D, the largest 3D printing company in the world. And he always uh, preaches to me, you want to be declared the winner of the race before it starts. And part of that is who do you have in as advisors and investors? And, and so that's, what, that, that's the other piece of what we were really trying to do with our advisory board is make it clear that this is a company that, you know, the best of the best have signed off on in terms of being able to help people improve. So, you know, we were lucky in that we had direct access to a lot of these people. We weren't having to create connections from scratch. So you know, we should preface it with that because these are people that have worked with Tom. For Mia, I, I've known her from previous work a little bit. And so we had a, a lot of a lot of connections. And the other elite coaches, everybody was one step removed. It wasn't like we were cold calling people. But I would say that I think we had a good process to, to get people involved. And it wasn't just, you know, calling and asking for money. Obviously, they get a, they get a lot of that. And And frankly, you know, we didn't need money from them, which I think was an advantage. Really, we wanted their involvement. And so from the early days, these were people whose brains we were picking. We were taking them to lunch. We were showing them early samples of the product. We were talking them through different business plans and just, you know, really getting a lot of value out of them sharing some ideas with us. And then eventually when it, when it comes time to make things official, we just, we, we never let ourselves run the risk of offering them a deal that wasn't on the upper side of fair is what we would call it. So that, you know, so for the folks that are investing, it's not just, you know, the normal investment. They're also on the advisory board and get shares for being on the advisory board. So that, that's a key piece of it. So I would just say, you know, identifying people that are critical to your business, identifying people that are declaring you the winner of the race in your industry, and then making sure that you're treating them on the upper side of fair, but also using them for advice and, and not just asking for money. I think that's kind of a summary of the approach we took. That's that's really helpful context. And yeah, look, I, I think we're we're in this world where so many pro athletes want to get involved in tech and venture. I mean, it's part of the reason that the game plan exists because we have so much to talk about. But but I do think it is it is interesting that those folks have gotten the value proposition for what you're doing right away, even before there is a product that's, you know, widely available. And so I think that's a that's a really positive signal for you guys. I'd love to wrap where we usually do on a, on a couple of questions uh, that Tim and I love to ask. Um, so the first is, is given your guys' career, where you guys are now and having found the opportunity to work together, which is fantastic, looking back at whether it's your playing careers, whether it's your transition into starting a startup, what is some advice that you would give your younger self if you could? Luke, why don't you kick us off? That's a great question. I got to think about it for a second. <laughs> we only ask great questions on the game plan, man. So. <laughs> I've noticed. I've noticed. Um, I mean, gosh, you just you learn so much coming into a new atmosphere. And I definitely try to like 
I mean, every day just about reflect on like, okay, what did I learn today? What can we do better? And it's actually something I, I really got from Tom. You know, at, at the end of every lecture, Tom will be like, okay, what's one new thing you learned today? And then, you know, you go through your session or whatever and be like, okay, what's one new thing you learned from that today? But, you know, I, I guess I just, I come back to the the transferable skill thing. And I mean, it it is... It is kind of just a case of like not doubting yourself. And, you know, I think athletes a lot of times, especially in arena football where, you know, guys are not, they don't have the capital that guys in the NFL would have. So it's, you know, you don't have that leg up. You can't just go straight into the world of investing or something. But, you know, a lot of guys are like, okay, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do after I'm done playing. Seems like, you know, I got to do something in football because those are the skills I have. And it's just, it's not the case. It's really not the case. Uh, I mean, I, I do strongly believe in a world where there's expertise and expertise is really, really important. But I also think that there's space for generalists and space for someone that has general experience to, you know, begin to learn expertise and be- begin to learn. Luke, I love that answer. Although I was thinking that maybe you're going to say something about not beating yourself up for getting past that Kaepernick guy on the depth chart at Nevada. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, hey, this guy's pretty good, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think I was ever beating myself up about that one. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Rocky? Yeah, so thinking about advice to a young athlete, so my younger self and, and other young athletes out there. First, I would say you never know where people are going to end up. And I can't tell you how many former teammates of mine I have that are business partners of mine now that are investors in our company, investors in another company I've started. So, you know, just treat people nicely, stay in touch with people, try to help people when you can, even if you don't necessarily, you know, know why. I mean, you you shouldn't need a reason to. And I would just say, um, you don't know where people are going to end up. So keep that in mind. I, I I guess I get the question a lot from young athletes now. And I know I would have done this a little bit differently if, if I had the chance, which is, you know, people are always worried about the next step, what comes after athletics. And I think I would actually give advice that's a little bit different than the conventional wisdom out there. The conventional wisdom is always make sure you're preparing for what's what's next and doing all sorts of things and not putting, you know, every all your eggs in the basket of athletics. I would say focus, if you're, you know, you have a serious shot to play athletics at the next level, whatever that next level is for you. Be 110% focused on athletics and um, take that as far as you can because taking athletics a little bit further is going to help you in your business career. The early jobs I got out of law school, uh, I don't get those jobs if I hadn't been a professional baseball player. That's just a, that's just a fact. The firms that were offering me jobs, the only interview questions were about my baseball career. That's, that's the truth. And that's what people want to talk about. But it's also because I think people know that there's some character building that that comes with playing athletics at a high level. And so don't discount uh, the value of that. But while you're playing, trust in the fact that you're observing a lot of things that are helping you learn and prepare for the next phase of your career. So you don't have to be taking extra classes and reading all sorts of stuff that's specifically preparing you for the next phase or plotting out exactly what the next phase is going to be. You're meeting lots of business people, you're talking to people, and you can just observe log things away and those those learnings are going to come back to you when you're when you're ready for them that's that's been my experience so i would just have some faith in that and focus on first things first 
I guess the last thing is, um, and this is maybe advice that's relevant to business developing, but also to athletics. Something I, I learned just recently. We, we're lucky in this company to have all these great advisors that we talked about a little bit. And, you know, I learned a lot from Tom and from Jason. One advisor in particular, Anson Dorrance. So he's the winningest soccer coach of all time. He's the women's soccer coach at UNC. I literally think he's won the national championship a majority of years he's been at UNC. I think he's got 23 national championships. I think the next closest is two or three. So it's a, he's, he's, he's doing well. Anson, we've gotten some great advice from you know, over the past year. One thing that really stuck with me recently is he talked about he tries to get his players to have what he says, a personal narrative that's closer to the truth. And what he means by that is every person develops a personal narrative about who they are, about what, what they do well, what they don't do well. But most people develop that personal narrative in order to protect themselves. Okay. I know I did. I know when I was playing, I developed all sorts of personal narratives about my baseball abilities that were really designed to, to make me feel good about, about who I was, about what I was working on. One I remember for sure was I, I really believed, I really told myself that I had this really strong mental game. And I think I needed that because I was somebody who needed to believe that I was going to play in the big leagues and I was undersized and I didn't have the talent of a lot of guys that do play in the big leagues. So what was my overriding strength that was going to get me there? It had to be the mental game. Well, that narrative was just false. You know, I mean, it was, my mental game was fine, but I had a lot of room for improvement there. And I just never realized it because I put up this personal narrative that blocked me from the truth. So if instead of developing personal narratives that protect yourself, if you can really develop a personal narrative that's as close to the truth as possible, you will naturally, according to Coach Dorrance, you will naturally fix those faults and improve greatly. And I'm finding that it's really the same thing in business. You can very easily, you work so hard on your business, you can very easily develop this personal narrative telling yourself how great everything is and that it doesn't need improvement so you can feel good about what you've been working on. But that's harmful in the long run. The more you can get the narrative about your business closer to the truth, the more you know where to devote resources and the more you know where to fix things. Yeah, that's excellent. And, you know, you've hit on a lot of things that we've heard from many guests. And I think the biggest one is a level of humility that it takes to ask questions, take on things that maybe you think everyone, especially as a pro athlete who's been in the limelight or, you know, everyone wants to go get your autograph or has seen you on the field, you think you're supposed to have all the answers. But time and time again, with the guests we've had on the game plan, we see that it's the those pros that are able to say, I don't have all the answers. I want to ask the questions. I want to get smart. I'm willing to take myself down on this and learn. And that's what's led to the success off the field or off the diamond. So Luke and Rocky, thank you guys so much for joining us. This has been awesome. We really appreciate having you on the game plan. We've enjoyed hearing more about Mustard and we're going to be cheering you guys on on your journey as you build this company. This was great. Thank you. Well, that's it for this week's episode of The Game Plan with Jake Kapoor and Tim Cott. As always, thanks so much for listening. A couple of shout outs before you go. Big thank you to our associate producer, Luke Kavasic, for editing this episode, as well as to Megan Rojas and the team at Sport Techie for helping to package and promote this across social channels. Thanks again to Rocky and Luke Collis for joining us to share their stories. Hey, make sure you follow Team Mustard across social media. Lastly, if you made it this far, you must really like The Game Plan. Please follow us on Twitter at The Game Plan Show. And leave us a five-star review on See iTunes. See you next week on The Game Plan.